Hello and welcome back to 20 Minutes in the Text, our journey to see Christ in the text of Scripture. Over the last few episodes, uh, specifically the last two weeks, Mason and I have walked you through uh, our given confirmation verses. Uh, you may know a similar term of a life verse, um, but the Scripture read over us as a blessing at our confirmation into the faith when we were youngsters. Mm. And uh, I had a church member approach me last weekend and say, um, we just watched Bible study. That was really great. That was my confirmation verse too. Oh, cool. So that was an exciting oh, awesome. uh, connection to make with them. And so uh, since there's two of us and we've done two verses. This is the end. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we, as we mentioned a few episodes ago, we're going to begin to choose our texts for 20 minutes in the text based on the confirmation verses that are being selected right now mm -hmm. in the year 2020 for our confirmation students this year here at Chapel of the Cross. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to begin with one of those today. Um, we were in Psalms two weeks ago. We were in Isaiah last week. And today we're going to go to the book of Titus. Yeah. Um, a very brief yet powerful New Testament epistle. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read this confirmation verse, this scripture text, and then Mason, maybe you can uh, walk us through a little bit about who is Titus, what is Titus, yeah, um, and what do we learn from it. So this comes from Titus chapter 3, verse 5, and it is a part of a three-verse compound sentence from Paul. So I'm going to go ahead and read uh, actually verses 4 through 7. Oh, a four-verse compound. Yeah. Four, five, six, six seven. Okay. Yeah. Good. Math is easy. So um, I'm going to read Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It'll give verse 5 in context. From the ESV, it says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So, Mason, as we understand this scripture passage in the context of the book of Titus, mm. what, what is good for us to know about the author, the receiver, uh, the, the text of this letter for our purposes today. Yeah. Um, so I think that sometimes when you're uh, looking at scripture and you come across a book of the Bible that's named after a specific person, uh, the tendency, I think for maybe some people is to think that that's the person who wrote right. the book, right? right? The namesake, not so the case here. So uh, it's the, the church holds that St. Paul is the one that wrote this letter to Titus. Um, now, Titus isn't sort of a regular character he's in the gospel. He's not a disciple. He's not. He's not an apostle per se. No. So he he's a ministry uh, and sort of um, missionary companion, one that's trusted. I think that's sort of indicated uh, by the Paul's greeting to Titus, um, but also because of the fact that like you know he's getting a letter written to him. Um, right. So that uh, so he's a trusted companion. Um, now he's. He's writing, what's interesting about this is that this doesn't happen a, a ton, 
So in our scriptures, you don't have a lot of letters being written to specific people. Usually you have Paul writing to churches. Right. You know, the church in Rome, Corinth, Ephesus, uh, Galatia, etc. Um, so he is, Paul is writing to Titus, and Titus is uh, essentially living amongst and dealing with the people of Crete. Mm. The Cretans. The Cretans, yes. So um, very much like Timothy, Okay. Paul's letter to Timothy, first the first and second letter. It's it's sort of like uh, if you've ever written, written a letter to a wide array of people, but you want to sort of kind of say the same thing, you sort of like use the same letter framework, but then like put in a, a couple personal things that go with who you're writing to. Right. right? Put context, but sort of the same framework. That you can kind of see that with Titus. I sent some emails today. To a number of different people. Yeah. And it's like you copy and paste the text of the email. You change Correct. the name at the beginning. Correct. You add some uh, whatever and it, you know, it it becomes personal. Yeah. But without having to take the effort of, you know, typing it all out again because you want to say the same thing. Right. Or, you know, in the case of Paul, you know, licking the quill or whatever yeah. they use to to write. So if you're right, if you're, if you received an email from Andrew today, <laughs> just know. Uh, no, so uh, you can see this um, when uh, Paul's, and this is sort of the reason why Paul's writing to Titus, is because of the fact that um, Titus is living amongst Cretans, and the Cretans are sort of, uh, they are craving all sorts of different doctrines. They sort of are, they're fair-weather mm. doctrinal holders. Uh, so they sort of just... We um, don't know anything about that today. Correct, right. Not at all. So Not at all. He is, which is sort of fascinating when, when uh, researching this, he is writing to Titus, exhorting him and sort of other fellow Christians about what it means to be a Christian in general, what it means to be a Christian husband, wife, overseer. This is where it kind of ties into Timothy because he writes about qualifications for overseers and deacons yeah. in Timothy, uh, what it means to be a Christian daughter or son or even slave. Um, so that's what you sort of get. That's why he's writing to them. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I really like sort of Luther puts it beautifully when he says, this is a short epistle, but a model of Christian doctrine in which is comprehended in a masterful way all that is necessary for a Christian to know and to live. Wow. So the first two chapters are sort of Paul saying, this is what we expect a Christian to do when they live, right? Mm-hmm. It isn't until chapter 3, which is where this confirmation verse is, which is fascinating to me, that he, why why do we live this way? Why am I exhorting you to live this way? And then he punches them with the gospel. Yeah. And that's where chapter 3 sort of picks up, is it sort of reevaluates what's going on in, uh, in the sort of the Christian life, what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, and we've got um, in verse... Seven, we've got this statement so that having been justified by his grace, um, this is a very Lutheran word, mm. this idea of, of yeah. justification, um, of being declared righteous. Yeah. Um, not a quid pro quo, not a works righteousness in any way, but a forensic courtroom vision of Christ declaring you sinful as you may be yeah a righteous uh, person on account of his grace 
Um, and so yeah. uh, <clears throat> we've got chapter three, specifically this, these four verses, you know, as Luther puts it, a model of Christian doctrine, honing right into this hub of, of faith. And when you think about for us coming out of the, the Lutheran tradition, mm -hmm. um, the book of Concord, the, the scriptures, uh, Martin Luther and his teaching, the hub of our doctrinal wheel has to be Jesus Christ and the justification yeah. uh, by grace through faith that he gives to us. And here it is right in black and white. Yeah. Titus. And again, there's, I mean, there's two reasons I think that Paul punches the gospel there. And it's because of the fact that it is sort of, this is the reason why Paul's exhorting them to live as Christians, but also it's essentially fighting against and pushing back against uh, really two theologies, sort of the, the wayward theology of the Cretans, right? That are sort of experimental, they'll sort of eat, it, eat up anything, but also against, uh, as, as Paul cites, the circumcision party, sort of the this sort of the Jewish influence of, uh, oh, you're not circumcised? Well, you're outside of the promise, right? Legalism yeah, and yeah. the law and right. all of these things, which which is interesting. As you mentioned, almost backwards, you know, he begins the letter with these exhortations, these encouragements. In other words, the law, yeah. do this, be this way. Um, and, you know, to set himself apart says, just so we're clear, right? Um, we don't want you to act like these people who have gone astray, these people yeah. who live in darkness, these people who uh, just follow the wind as it goes. But you were mm. just that way until something happened, until the gospel happened. Yeah, and notice how he, <clears throat> notice how when he, and uh, it's what, it's three chapters. So we encourage you to go in and read through the totality of it. Uh, pause the video or podcast now and, and read it. Uh, but it's interesting that even in his exhortation, right, he is exhorting them yet at the same time showing how the people who live are living contrary to what he's saying are doing it in order to earn something. Yet in his exhortation, he's not saying you need to do this because you're earning something. You just, this is what it this is what it means to be human, right? It's an identity. Exactly. Issue. And yeah. Um, man, if I said it once, I've said it a thousand times in my well, specifically the last two years of, of my research and, and writing, but everything that has to do with virtuous living, everything that has to do with doing the good works yeah. that have been prepared in advance for us to do, everything about do this and don't do this all comes down to who are you when you look in the mirror? Mm. You are Christ in the flesh, yeah. in a way. Yeah. You are yeah. a human being in God's image, redeemed by the blood of Christ, redeemed by the person of Christ. Redeemed by the image of God. <laughs> yeah, right? Crucified with him, yeah. resurrected with him, sanctified and holy, because of him and through him. Yeah, Luther says cemented to him, right? So what are you going to do? You're going to do what Christ does, the right thing. And it's not going to be, and, and we're sort of maybe then throwing. Then you're going to fail. Yeah, we were yeah. possibly throwing the cart before the horse, but, um, uh, and this is what my one of my seminary professors said, we were discussing this before. This isn't a sort of like, okay, I mean, 
sometimes it's going to happen this way. I'm like, okay, I need to remind myself I'm a Christian and, and to maybe respond better in this way. But a lot of this is just going to flow freely, right? When Jesus is acting, he's not thinking in his brain, okay, there's two ways I can go about this. It's not the sort of devil on one shoulder, angel on another sort of situation, right? It's right. just the, this is what flows out of this new identity. Mm-hmm. So you were, you once were this identity, which uh, was foolish, disobedient, being led astray and sort of slaves to unrighteousness. But now then because of this justification, you have a new identity. And so this is where like this confirmation verse, specifically Titus 3, 5 is just right in the middle. Yeah, It's the heart of this. Yeah. So we've got this little preamble, right, in yeah. verse 4. Um, and when I read it the first time, perhaps you didn't even catch it. But verse 4, very short. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. So here you are yeah. living this. But when God, our Savior, appeared when god did his thing the floodgates opened yeah i should have uh went and looked at this mm-hmm. in uh specifically this verse in the original greek because i i wonder if a better translation would be to put a colon after god so when the goodness and loving kindness of of god colon what is it our savior who appeared. So it's the loving kindness of God that res- that incarnates. And then the, this confirmation yeah. verse. Reading some commentaries on this recently, um, we've got definitely this Trinitarian understanding of here is God, the Father, right. who is our Savior, right. appearing as Jesus, God, right. our Savior, incarnated yeah. in the flesh. And when God in the flesh, in Jesus, saves us, how does he do that? Well, through the rebirth and renewal of the Spirit right. um, of God. And so let's... Hey, you got them all wrapped up there, don't you? Yeah. Let's... Huh. I, do, I don't. Well, well I, I, as in like the understanding yeah, of it. I, yeah, I, just, I speak that. It's, yeah. it's not like me coming up with right. this, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> my next book, right? No, but, but again, so we got this preamble. You were this... But when the goodness of God, our Savior, appeared, here comes chapter 3, verse 5. When the goodness of God, our Savior, appears, what does he do? So, yeah, so we're just let's just break down verse 5, right? Mm-hmm. He, meaning Jesus, the Savior, saved us. What did he save us from, I think, is, the, is a good question, right? Yeah. Well, let's, again, this is, this is why it's important to really do pause the video and read the context around it, right? We have enough. If we have the time, we do that. But it is he saved us from being disobedient, uh, foolish, being led astray, slaves to unrighteousness. That's what he's saving us from. Sort of the sin. Everything that we have inherited from our parents and our parents right. before them, back to Adam and Eve, our navel gazing, right, incurved attitude of original sin. Right. The thing that we needed saving from ourselves, you might say. What did he save us from? Ourselves. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And why? Um, is it because we've earned it? Is it because, well, um, he saved us because you're just really good people that just couldn't quite make it? No. 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 He saved us um, not because of any attempt, any works of righteousness. Right. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Plain as daylight, people. 
nothing, nothing that you do has earned or merited God's saving action for you. And again, this is going, connecting back to when he exhorts, he's not exhorting them to save themselves, right? Because there is this understanding, no, no deed of yours can save you. It's not because you said the right prayer. It's not because uh, you've done any sort of outward sign, in this case, circumcision, right. circumcision party mm -hmm. um, from the, the Judaizers, a, a big thing of, well, yeah, you can have Jesus, but you've got to follow. Right. Us. Not because you're ceremonially or ritually clean, yeah. but why, Mason? Not because of our works of righteousness, but... But according to his mercy, which, mm. you know, that, like, we could spend another 20 minutes just talking about mercy, right? But it's just, you know, as I see it, sort of this loving kindness of God. The mercy of God is concretely, morally shown in the incarnation. There's the mercy of God in the incarnated, crucified, and, and risen Christ. Yeah. That's the mercy of God. That's the thing that saved us, right? The loving kindness yeah. of God. I love that idea. Um, you know, God has a very good creation, and all of his creation has become tainted and is yeah. crying out. Mm -hmm. And God, in his mercy, of all the things that he could do, what does he do? He says, I guess I got to become one of them. Yeah. Which there's just a whole theology behind that. Just fascinating. And so, so now Jesus has saved us. Yeah. Not because of our work. Correct. But because of his mercy. And now it, it begs the question, as chapter or as verse five says, how, when, where? Yeah. How do we get this? Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, how is that? How is that gift given to us essentially? And Paul phrases it in the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Which bells and whistles, as specifically coming from the Lutheran tradition. Yeah. You know what it echoes, Mason? Let me read this to you. Do this cross-reference. I will tell you once <laughs> I get to the right page here. Um, it sounds a lot like Jesus answering. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of God. Yes. Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus responding to Nicodemus's question of, how, how do I get saved? Yeah. Um, I can't crawl back inside my mother's womb. But no, it's, it's not a, a physical yeah. rebirth. Right. It is this rebirth of water and the Spirit. For me... Yeah, that was May twenty fifth, nineteen eighty six, when my parents brought me to the baptismal font. Yeah, of Emmanuel Lutheran Church, and well, Pastor Koenig put the water on me. January fifteenth, two thousand, at Zion and Harvester, okay. in the old church, I should say. Yeah, yeah. And this was our baptism. Yeah, and this is why um, uh, the person who chose this confirmation verse, uh, kudos to you. Hopefully this is helpful to you. Mm -hmm. But this is why this is such a great confirmation verse. Because what are you doing in confirmation? You are saying, I mean, the root for word, let's just shorten confirmation down to confirm. You are confirming what Jesus did for you at your baptism. That's what all that, I mean, that's essentially the heart of confirmation. What I was baptized into, what I have been taught, I'm saying, that's, that's mine. That faith is my faith. Right? And it's worth noting, too, that the faith that was given to you in your baptism, the 
and all of that, the things that, that happen in your baptism are taking it another step back saying that is a reception. That is an individual for you moment where you receive yeah. the, the works and the benefit of what Christ did on the cross yeah. thousands of years ago. So Christ dies on the cross, right? Um, in Ob essence, paying for the sins of the yeah, whole world. Objectively. An objective righteousness. Right. In your baptism, that righteousness is given directly to you. And in, at least in the Lutheran tradition, uh, you know, some number of years later, you're catechized in that faith, you're raised in the church, and you now get to say, yes, what Christ did for all was given to me in my baptism, and I confirm that this is the faith that I am walking in. Yeah, and then in the verses preceding this, Paul talks about what is the, essentially, what are you promised? Well, you're justified, mm -hmm. right? So, you know that all those sins that were held against you are held against you no more. You receive the righteousness of God and you are made an heir of the hope of eternal life. Oh, right. So that's fantastic. When you are drowned in the waters of baptism and raised back to new life in Christ, that is the promise to you that when you, your earthly life comes to an end, when this walk through life ends, you will be raised again from your tomb to new life with him, eternal life yeah. without blemish or sin or, Disease. Yeah, I, I know that when I've taught on this a number of times, just something that someone spoke to me, I don't even know who, but again, the words have, have stuck with me. And they asked me, when, when Andrew, does your eternal life begin? You know, and I said, well, like many of us would, well, when I die. Mm, yeah, I said, right. no, no, no. When were you baptized? Mm. When you were baptized, your eternal life began. And your eternal life begins at your baptism and never ends. Yeah. You know, your earthly life will cease. Even though you die, but yet you shall But it's not live. like you have an earthly life and then an eternal life. No, right. we right now yeah. are heirs to an eternal life and an eternal inheritance. You got it. I've got it. Yeah. The fullness will come when Jesus raises Absolutely. us all. But that's a good way. Yeah. It's, mm, yeah. And so. It's a lot to be said there, but. So by way of. I guess summation. Yeah. We've got this, this understanding that you were once in this darkness. Mm -hmm. But verse four, when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, he saved us. Not because of what we've done, but because of his mercy, mercy poured out in the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We are justified. We are heirs in the eternal kingdom. And then the immediate the immediate next word in uh, the, the letter is trustworthy. This saying, this sentence, this gospel, Mason, anyone watching, anyone listening, is trustworthy. We walk in it. We live according to it. And we are saved by this testimony. Yeah, and it's interesting because Paul has, has, Paul does this a lot in his letters, and it's doing twofold. It is this sort of like, well, the first thing is, is he's saying essentially, he's, he's pointing away from himself. This isn't trustworthy because I'm saying it. This is trustworthy because of the fact that it's in accord with all that was said and done by Jesus, right? That's why it's trustworthy. It's not trustworthy because Paul's writing a letter. Right. It's trustworthy because of the fact that, and I think that this is, uh, and I'll quickly get over this because I know we're running out of time, but this is, I think, one of the biggest problems with, with that people struggle with Christianity today 
because we become numb to the fact that like, oh, what Jesus did happened 2,000 years ago, give or take some years, right? Right. And that's when it happened. So to incarnate for, incarnate that for you, and I think that's the beauty of being a Lutheran and having the sacraments because you have that physical sh- sign that like, no, what's happening there is benefiting you now. Here it is. Yes. Well, Mason, thank you as always for your conversation. Yeah, uh, thank great. you to you, our watchers, our viewers. Yeah. I'm not sure what the right word is there. And our yeah. listeners on the podcast, uh, to our friends at Chapel of the Cross and those listening and watching anywhere else you may be. Yeah. Uh, may you be blessed by the words of the gospel found in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. And we will see you again next time. Bye, everyone. Twenty Minutes in the Text is recorded and produced by Andrew Nelson and Mason Veith at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in St. Peter's, Missouri. Andrew and Mason are friends, theologians, and brothers in Christ who find great joy in sharing the gospel message. Join us for Christ's Word, commentary, and conversation, 20 minutes at a time. We hope you enjoy the show.